This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. Learn a new language, cold shower, go running in the rain. Do things that, that shock the system. Now, don't do anything silly. You don't jump off a cliff and kill yourself. But, like, do things that are uncomfortable because it's good for the body, the brain, and everything. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, I hear this a lot. Above everything else, including diet, the single most important intervention any of us can make to promote a long and healthy life is regular and preferably intense exercise. My guest today is Joe DeSena, who, it seems to me, has done more than most to encourage the masses, you and I, to get outside, to get dirty, to revel in the endorphin rush that is endurance exercise and endurance sport. Joe is the founder of the Death Race, the Spartan Race. He is also the co-author of Spartan Up, a take-no-prisoner's guide to overcoming obstacles and achieving peak performance in life. And he's also the host of the excellent Spartan Up podcast. Joe, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, it's great to see you. You've been described, there's one article I I read about you, describing you as the most punishing man in fitness. I was just curious, do you wear that as a badge of honor? I think my my family would say I'm the most punishing guy in the house. (laughs) (laughs) In life. I don't don't know if I'm the most punishing man in fitness, but but I do instinctually, and this is going to sound crazy, I do, if you... If we were doing this podcast in Vermont, we would have woken up at probably 4.30 or 5 a.m. And I would have handed you a sheet of plywood. I would have taken a sheet of plywood and we would have climbed the mountain with it. Now, why a sheet of plywood? Because it's a nightmare to deal with. The wind is blowing. But um, somehow that that uh, is not normal, although I consider it normal and got me that title. And I see you're talking about your home here. Yeah. This is what you do there. This is what I do. Yeah. Um, I fully expected you to walk in with a kettlebell and you didn't. I had a kettlebell I carried around for 18 months, and my stomach started to bother me. And I was, um, through trial and error, trying to figure out what it was, why was my stomach bothering me. And I, I surmised, uh, no doctor has proven this conclusively, but that um, I eat, and I eat a lot of food because I'm always I'm very active. And then I would grab the kettlebell, and I think it was squeezing my stomach, and it was bothering my stomach. So I laid off it for six months, and then the other day somebody sent me a 55-pound kettlebell to our office shaped in the skull of a Spartan. It was, it was awesome. And I said, you know what? It's time to start it up again. My stomach's feeling well, and my stomach bothered me. So I'm laying low on that. I'm going to have to maybe get like a 50-pound helmet to uh, wear. Maybe that'll be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll be interesting going through the airports. Exactly. Yeah. So let's tell your story. And of course, you haven't always been doing what you do right now. You, you've had a desk job, haven't you, and, and for quite some time and, you, and, and a successful career part of your life. But it was something you, you certainly left behind. I had a desk job. Uh, I swore when I was a young person that I would, I would do anything in life except sitting at a desk and typing. And I found myself sitting at a desk and typing for quite some time. We had a, we had a brokerage firm on Wall Street. We basically handled all the big uh, banks as clients. And we had a great run. We made money, which was uh, my true north for a period of time. I wanted to make some money um, and then get out. 
I, uh, I had a picture of a red barn on my desk. And so my, my purpose and my plan was always right in front of me. It's very hard to get out when you're making money. And, and I did it. I pulled the cord and, um, and got away from that desk job. And now I find myself with Spartan changing millions of lives for, across 40 countries, very purposeful, very rewarding. But I do it from a damn computer <laughs> desk. Back on that desk And again. I'm back. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. And so uh, I want to throw away my phone. I want to throw away my computer. And then I get an email that says, you changed my life. I lost 200 pounds. I'm back with my husband. Uh, so anyway, got to figure that out. And, and what is it about the, the desk job environment that you so despise? Well, it just it doesn't feel healthy, right? I mean, it's so much fun to be sweating and carrying that sheet of plywood I described up a mountain or or doing anything out in the sunshine and just moving and being active. You feel human. I don't know. You just don't feel that good sitting, at least I don't, sitting at a desk. Um, not uh, many of us are fortunate enough to get out of that, not even me. And we got we to gotta make a living. And, um, and so now I stand and I type. Ah, um, so okay. at, le- at least so I get that's that. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah stand or, or even walk on a treadmill. A walk, yeah. yeah. I've tried bicycling and typing. I've got a rope pulley machine. Uh, I do conference calls now while pulling a, on a rope pulley. Um, so I'm doing my best to um, – merge those two lifestyles. And I think in the real world, that's essentially what we've got to do, because the practicalities of life mean that people need to work at desks and at computers to get stuff done. Yeah, that's it, right? In this, in this world, it's uh, 500 emails a day if you want to be, want to be uh, successful. So how did you, how did you start? In, in t- you realized you, you knew that this wasn't for you, this kind of life, albeit successful. So what did you do next to transition into this new life of yours? Well, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. I'm, I'm addicted to ideas and I'm addicted to pushing the envelope and creating things. And so um, I was doing my desk job. I was working on Wall Street and uh, my vacations, my way of escaping uh, the mundane, the, uh, the, the unhealthy sitting there was I'm going to go do crazy races myself. I'm going to go torture myself. I'm gonna, I want to see places by foot. It's one thing to see it on a tour bus. Or flying over it, it's another to be in it and paddling and swimming and running and biking. And so I just fell in love with these adventures, um, whether it was the Iditarod across Alaska or the Discovery Channel World Championship in Switzerland or the Eco Challenge, anything that was long and impossible and painful and would get me off the desk, I was in. And, and being the entrepreneur, as I had those you know, days and weeks to suffer and think and just have clear thought, I thought, I could do this as a business. And so it started to permeate my brain, and I, I couldn't let it go. And my first iteration in 2000 was a company called Peak.com. And I said, maybe there's 50,000 people around the world that are crazy, that would climb Mount Everest, swim the English Channel, do one of these races, bicycle across the United States. And so... But those 50,000 people, they inspire the world. So if I had this URL, peak.com, I could, I could band together these 50,000 crazy people, and they, we would inspire the world together, right? It would be uh, before social media really took hold. And so I launched it, and my first race to, to, to create some noise was down in the British Virgin Islands, and it was a 350-mile-long race, and 100 people signed up, which was a problem. It wasn't enough. And sponsors backed out because uh, it was coming up. Uh, September 11th happened right before the event. 
And so I, I, lo- I, I went on with the event anyway because I said, you know, these, this uh, activity at, at the World Trade is not going to stop me. And we lost a half a million dollars and I lost, I lost a person. I physically lost a person. Um, the person ended up in a dinghy unbeknownst to anybody and drifted 150 miles to Little Tobago. Mm. Coast Guard found him, saved him. Um, but between losing a half a million dollars in that person, I thought, gee, this is a tough business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier to be on trading desk <laughs> on Wall Street. And so um, I messed around because I'm a glutton for punishment for a decade, continued to lose money, continued to put on races, death race, for example, and um, had a lot of fun with it, but, but not financially. It was a financial loser. In 2010, coming out of the financial crisis, I really just didn't want to be trading anymore. I mean, it, it, it paid the bills. It really took care of the family because now I had a growing family. But um, it just didn't feel great. And so uh, I took one last stab, rebranded, came up with Spartan, which I can't even believe we got the name, and um, shortened the distances. So instead of 350 miles, we would do a three-miler, an eight-miler, and a 13-miler. And in order to help people change their unhealthy habits, maybe stop drinking, stop uh, uh, waking up late, going to bed earlier, uh, being more active, I said, we really should try to get people to do three races in a year. Because if you do one and you're done, you're not going to change your, your unhealthy habits. And so, um, so we created this thing called the trifecta. If you get the three-mile, eight-mile, 13-mile, you earn this trifecta, which is like coveted now. And it would change your habits, and it worked. And all of a sudden, people started coming out and participating in Spartan races. And uh, we got television shows and podcasts and books and uh, more emails and more sitting. <laughs> and, and, and it is extraordinary, the amount of success you've had with it. What, what does it tell you about people that it has been a success and there is a yearning, almost an addiction factor once you get started in these races to, to do it time and time again? Yeah, well, I mean, we're human beings, and I like to um, remind everybody that we're animals. Animals are meant to climb, crawl, jump, be in the dirt, right? It would be weird if you and I came home and my dog was painting her toenails, watching Oprah, you know, drinking coffee, smoking a cigarette. That would be weird. But if we came home and the dog was running around the backyard and just tackled a bird and was playing in the mud, that would be that would make sense. Well, it's similarly confusing when you see us as animals doing those things in the living room, right? It's very normal, although it's not normal, if that makes sense, to be running and swimming, you know, sweating and swimming and climbing and crawling. And so it says to me, um, human beings need this. We need this to uh, maintain health. We need this to maintain sanity. Um, it's extremely addictive because it feels good and it's where we're supposed to be. And so the pendulum, certainly in the first world, has swung too far in the wrong direction. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean it's easy for us to sell people on, on what I'm asking them to buy. I'm asking them to buy commitment, hard work, pain, suffering, and it'd be much easier commercially if I was selling cotton candy and couches. Um, but to your point, once they get in, they're hooked. You do it time and time again, and yeah. you, and you get. I mean, I've done, I actually haven't done a Spartan, but I, I will. I've done similar races, and you get halfway through sometimes, and you're feeling the pain, and you can't yeah. wait to finish. And at that maybe halfway point, you're thinking never again. 
but you finish it and you can't wait. Can't wait for again. the next one. Yeah, because we, we want to challenge ourselves yeah. and better ourselves. Yeah, yeah, you get to meet yourself out there on the course. And um, I get, again, we have a million participants a year, so it's a tremendous sample study. And I talk to thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people on email and in person. And I really get an opportunity to get in their head and as well as my own head, and figure out what this thing is. What And it's really about transformation. It's like um, it just makes you feel good. It makes you reevaluate the stuff that you used to get upset over at home that really is in- insignificant. It puts everything in the right perspective, um, and it changes some of the negative habits. I mean, look, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not taking shots at Madison Avenue on this one, but like commercialism – Consumerism, right? Capitalism drives uh, us to do things that when the next generation uh, comes along, thinks that that's normal, right? Like like kids are now doing 9,000 swipes a day on their phones and, and, and um, we're doing 500 on average or whatever the, the number is or, or sitting on the couch and smoking cigarettes. I mean, it used to be doctors came out and said uh, 9 out of 10 doctors recommend uh, Marlboro cigarettes, Right. There were there were commercials that that mentioned that like breastfeeding was barbaric. And we like so. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what I'm trying to say, but but like we've gone in the wrong direction and it feels it's almost gone in the wrong direction and spiraled out of control, out of control. And it's almost like that analogy of the boiling frog where you don't even know you're boiling. Right. If you if you put them in the pot before it starts to boil. So, like, I think we're the boiling frog in that example. And this, I mean, you've mentioned pain a few times, and, and it's the thing that I refer to as well. You, you notice pretty quickly on a race like this that you are in pain. I mean, that there's no getting away from it. You will go through something that you're not really enjoying. Why is it, though, do you think? Why is that pain threshold so important to the ultimate achievement? Well, I think from a neuro, I'm not a doctor, but from a neurological, you know, if you had a, um, a doctor here, a medical doctor or, or somebody that really understood biology or, or uh, the brain, um, when you take cold showers, or you breathe heavy or you sweat or you push yourself, you grow. Uh, no, nothing in, in biology is, is different. A, a tree that grows up in a perfectly uh, climate controlled environment is a weaker tree. A tree that grows up on the side of a mountain with the wind blowing, you know, in in, uh, in the UK somewhere. I was in the the Brecon Brecon Beacons. Brecon Beacons, yeah. A tree that grows up there is pretty damn tough, mm. <laughs> right? Versus a tree that grows up in Hawaii. So, so um, we need it physically um, to wire ourselves properly. Um, they did studies. There's a study going on. I, forgive me because I don't know the name of the study, but it's in Switzerland. It's the largest brain study ever do- being uh, ever done, and what they found was, and this makes perfect sense, from zero to 25 years old, we are really working our brains. We're learning. We're mapping rooms. They're eight feet high. They're square. We're looking at carpets. We're really studying everything because we're soaking it all up like a computer, right? From 25 to 50, we start to cheat because we already know that like a room is eight feet high. It's square. And so we don't, we don't finish looking at things. We don't, our brains are not as intense. We lose a third of the brain. From 50 to 75, we lose another third because it's even less intense. It needs less work. So the common theory was that just over time, your brain deteriorates and there's nothing you could do about it. What they found was if they took 75-year-olds and they can get them back to above where they were from zero to 25. How did they do that? Get them out of their comfort zone. Learn a new language. Cold shower. Go running in the rain. Do things that, that shock 
the system. Now, don't do anything silly. You don't jump off a cliff and kill yourself. But, like, do things that are uncomfortable because it's good for the body, the brain, and everything. It's good physically, but it's good mentally. And it's perhaps good mentally. the mental thing is, is the most important because it kind of, you, you, you do something you think you can't do, but you can and you achieve it and you can go on to do something better next time. Success breeds success. Right, right? Exactly. Re- Releases all those endorphins and gives you a taste the next time you're on some starting line, whether it's a marriage or uh, whatever it is, your brain actually will release a little taste from your previous success, which will help get you going. So, so um, don't quit things. You've mentioned cold showers several times and reading about you, this is something that, that comes up time and time again. It, it is part of what you do. Yeah. How did you, when you first started taking cold showers, and was it a conscious decision? Did someone suggest to you that it was a good idea? And I'm wondering how you, you felt at the time and, and how you've progressed with it. Before I, want, I answer that, I just I want to say that um, I was a little disappointed this morning in LA because the showers are not that cold here. If you want a good cold shower, it's like Chicago, Mongolia, even parts yeah. of Japan. It, it's summer in LA, and the water never. Yeah, gets I couldn't. Cold. I couldn't get that cold of shower. The funny thing when I when I look back as to how I got into this, I grew up in a neighborhood that was all organized crime. It was in Queens, and um, it was at the height of organized crime. The movie Goodfellas portrays uh, the exact neighborhood, the exact block where I grew up. And so I, I suspect, as a young person, because I got to think back forty nine years, right? Is um, we wanted to be tough as kids. Because, because the elders around us were products of our, of our environment, had Cadillacs, had ro- rolls of cash in their pocket. They were dressed well. They were respected. And so as kids, you'd want to be those guys. Now, if they happen to be baseball players or marathon runners, that's who we'd want to be. But th- that's not who was in our neighborhood. Who, th- these guys were in our neighborhood, these, these wise guys. So the conversation around the dinner table was like cement, jail time money. And so if you're aspiring to be that, at least me, you want to know if you're tough enough, right? People are going to go to jail. Are you like, can you handle it? And so very young, I remember taking cold showers. Somehow I put two and two together and said, well, if I could take a cold shower, I would be tough enough. If I carry these rocks around the neighborhood, I literally would carry rocks around the neighborhood. I would, I would test myself to see if I was tough enough. Maybe, maybe it was some own insecurities, I had, whatever it was, but I needed to know that I could live up to what I was aspiring to be. Then the Wim Hofs and everybody um, came along. Um, by the way, they don't get better. The cold showers always suck. Um, burpees always suck. These things always suck, but, but you come out the other side feeling better. Do you always take a cold shower, if you can? I'm 90% there. there are, there's a night... Uh, once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll get home and I just, I don't know, I've taken a beating that day and whatever it was, work or this or that. And I said, oh, I'm going to treat myself and take a hot shower. Now, the listeners really listen to this because this is, this is really um, an important point. That hot shower, which occurs once in a while, is 100 times better than your hot shower. And the reason is because I don't take them, right? I don't drink coffee. So when I do have a cup of coffee, it really works. I, and so that's 
that's another benefit of, of kind of stripping some things away in your life because if you have nothing, you appreciate everything. If you have everything, you appreciate nothing. Yeah, I can totally understand that because I do quite a bit of fasting, periodic fasting, and after a five-day fast, which isn't, isn't a complete yeah. fast, there's a tiny bit of food in there, but it's, it's pretty much a fast, you really appreciate that first yeah. proper meal as, as something you really enjoy. It makes you appreciate it as well. Not only do you enjoy it, but you actually appreciate what it is. I agree. And so I guess just the ability to have a warm shower, maybe we should appreciate it more. We should appreciate it. I have a buddy of mine who represents uh, middle-aged America. And his fight with me is, Joe, um, everything in moderation. Everybody's fight with me is everything in moderation. And moderation, in my opinion, leads to mediocrity, right? And and I don't think uh, we can treat our bodies that way. I don't think we can say – and by the way, I slip like all of us. But I don't think we could say, oh, a little bit of this – like if, if it's not good for you, then a little bit is not good for you. Uh, a lot is worse, but a little bit's no good either. But anyway, we're going to a vegan um, place tonight. I've convinced him in the last two weeks he's only eating raw fruits and vegetables. He's on fire. He's got energy. He said um, his toenails, he has a few black toenails that doctors haven't been able to fix for a decade. They're transforming. Like his whole, everything's changing. You're vegan? I'm uh, 90% vegan. 90%, yeah. yeah. That's kind of, I, I'm pescatarian, so yeah. I eat a little bit of fish. Yeah. But, uh, but mostly vegan and have been for a, the past few years and feel great for it. Yeah, much, I, much I agree. Better. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. look great. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So I'm interested to know, uh, let's just talk a bit about your, your farm and your home. Yeah, I mean, it's famous. Anyone who knows anything about you knows where you live and, and the kind of activities that you get up there. For anyone who doesn't know, can maybe just paint a picture of a day in the life of Joe? And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. I'll tell you what, and, and um, um, we're so blessed uh, to have this farm, but it sits in the valley of these Vermont mountains, and the mountains around it are not very high. Uh, if you could visualize a 1,000, 1,500-foot mountains, but very steep. And, and we sit in this valley um, with this farm, and a river runs through it, and a 30-acre field of cut grass uh, because we hold some functions there, and and, um, and so the functions are able to pay for the lawnmowers to cut the grass <laughs> yeah. and pay the taxes. But it is epic. I mean, you get there, your shoulders drop. The air is unbelievable. The water you drink right out of the river. Matter of fact, a lot of the bottled water we drink comes from right up the street. And so you can have a lot of complaints, and I do, about the um, local government of Vermont and, and their policies but those complaints and those policies is what drives this pristine location where there's no billboards, there's very clean water, there's very clean air. You see every star at night. And um, I put in uh, – we put in 50 miles of mountain bike trails and hiking trails over the years. And then we put in a one-mile stone staircase, uh, rugged stones. Uh, you can Google uh, – anybody out there listening could Google – Riverside Farm stone staircase images, and you'll get a, a view. Some of the stones are the size of Volkswagens. And I remember thinking it'd be cool to have a stone staircase at the top of the mountain in the backyard, but how the hell would I build it? And I thought, you know, 
I wonder if we could make it one of the tasks in the death race. And so I had 1,500 stones delivered, monster stones, the size of the table here, the size of Volks. And I had a bunch of pipe and ropes and chains. And before the death race started, about you know 304 participants were there. And I said, before the race starts, you guys have got to build this staircase. You've got to get these 1,500 stones up the mountain and set in place. And in 12 hours, a little over 300 people put in a stone staircase that will blow your mind. Blows my mind. Mm. It makes you understand how the pyramids were built. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, and you've only got to look back in history, look at some of the great architecture around the world, and think, well, that was just brute force. Brute force. That was the only way they could do that. Working as teams and ensure. Sh- I mean, God, if I had a million people <laughs> to work, what could you get done? Which they had back then. You know? uh, yeah, it's amazing. So tell me about your day. How does it start? What do so you do? So my day, I'm, I'm, um, I'm an early riser. I like to get up. Now, I'm, I'm traveling all over the world, and I've been living in different parts of the world with my family. So uh, depending on where we're living, it's somewhere between 4 and 5 a.m. that I'm up. And uh, it goes right into uh, drinking a warm glass of water. First thing I do before, and even before I brush my teeth. And I, I learned that from an Italian guy years and years and years ago who said, listen, uh, your your body is filtering your blood all night while you're sleeping, and um, it's good to flush out those toxins first thing in the morning. So I, I start every day with the, the warm glass of water. I go right to my uh, body weight exercise routine, which I've been doing for decades. Any reason why it's warm as opposed to cold? Uh, room temperature, because um, the body just seems to assimilate it right. more easily if it's the same temperature as the body. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and then... Um, and then I go uh, right into these bodyweight exercises, uh, focus on the stomach first. My theory there, I, m- I met a chiropractor years ago. I picked up all these things along the way. met a chiropractor probably when I was pre-teens, and he said, listen, if you never want to have a bad back, I'm going to show you an exercise you have to do religiously seven days a week every day. And so I do that, which then rolls into about 15 different bodyweight exercises. takes me about uh, 40, 45 minutes. Then from there, I like to, what I say is um, start the engine. I don't believe any of our engines are started until we actually sweat. You don't have to, you don't have to sweat for hours, uh, 10 minutes of, of, of high-intensity sweating. Um, from there, ice-cold shower. And uh, then I got the kids to work out. I, I'm, I'm religious about the kids working out uh, seven days a week, um, more for just total athleticism and healthiness and flexibility. How do they feel about it? They're not as fond of it as, <laughs> as, as, as I am. But, you know, I wasn't as fond as my mother pushing me into the health food and the yoga, you know, years ago. And it took 30 years before I went back and said, you know what, she was right. So if I've got to be the evil person in the house for 30 years, that's just part of the deal. No problem. Um, they'll thank me at some point, or I'll yeah. be dead. And, yeah, 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 I'm sure they'll thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're getting to around breakfast time now. Getting to breakfast time with them, and and sometimes the um, the wheels fall off at that point because um, once uh, the kids are eating and I'm smelling all that food, and I've already been up for you know three hours, and they're get, it's hard not to eat something that I shouldn't be eating right there. Because in reality, I can't, you know the kids are not going to eat celery and carrots for breakfast, so they're going to have some pancakes. They're going to have some regular foods. They're going to have to get older and to a point where they get it. Um, what's funny is my second son, our second son, who was a meat animal. I mean, he just everything meat, and I couldn't stop him from eating it. Uh, just went became vegetarian overnight. <laughs> just <laughs> I have no idea what happened, but uh, he's ten years old. Woke up one day, became vegetarian. Won't touch meat. Oh, he became vegetarian at the age of 10? Yeah. 
Wow. Unbelievable. And is he better for it, do you think? Yeah, he's happy. Uh, he, you know, I ordered him some meat, because, which I'm against, but he wants he, That's what he eats. He said, Dad, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I, when did that happen? I <laughs> well, he's been listening to you, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, so how does the rest of the day progress? So then from there, by the way, in that period, let's call it from 4.30 a.m. to 8, when the pancakes are being made, I've already done 60 or 70 emails in between everything else. I've taken phone calls. I've... That's a very hectic time in my day. Is it also the best time of your day? The best time is actually before anybody wakes up. Any phone calls come in, that's the best time. Right. Once, once the office is called, and it's just, it's, just, it's just absolute craziness because I'm so passionate about uh, the kids doing their workout that juggling that and trying to motivate them with the phone calls and everything else is, is, is very hard. But then it rolls into a normal uh, office day, which is just uh, nonstop emails, uh, phone calls, a couple of meetings here and there. Uh, I'll try to get a second workout in at night, even if it's only 15 to 30 minutes. Um, and then I probably do 15 minutes on Netflix and uh, before my eyes close, and I'm out, and it starts all over. Yeah, and so you're in bed by 9 try to, I try to be in bed no later than 10. And you sleep well. Uh, I wasn't sleeping well. For those listeners out there, and you may have covered this on previous podcasts, I um, mistakenly had not put my phone on airplane mode at night. And so um, I'm a light sleeper, and it would wake me up. And I had some sleep monitoring done. My friend sent me a device, and I was like, why am I not sleeping well? And it was the phone. As soon as I got rid of, I put it on airplane mode, I slept mm. much better. Are you saying even if it's not ringing or making a noise, it the fact that it's not on airplane mode still yeah, yeah just you. just that incoming signal oh, would wake would wake me up no i haven't actually heard of that before yeah it makes sense that you turn your notifications off and you turn your speaker off but i hadn't actually heard of completely completely off i still, still would wake me up that's interesting yeah yeah oh, now, now not wake that. up to a point where i got up and had a but glass it disturbs of water you. but it serves me because right. when i looked at my sleep patterns the actual data completely off versus um, not completely off, you see different data. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's worth knowing. Is there one thing that you would advise people to do, something that, based on your experience, that would dramatically change their lives? Uh, do you have a sort of bullet point list of, of important? Well, I have a list. I'm, I, I, the way you asked the question was one thing. Yeah. Why don't I rattle through a bunch of things, and then, and then I'll try to highlight if you can only do one. Sounds good. You know, if if we had, if we all, including myself, had the willpower to do everything we're supposed to do, I'd give up coffee. I don't care what you read about it. I'd give it up. I'd give up alcohol. I don't care what you read about it. Don't tell me that the uh, the red grapes or the blue zones or you don't need alcohol. You don't need coffee. I drink lots of water. I I only eat um, fruits and vegetables if I could. Now I don't only eat fruits and vegetables, but but if I could um, and I had that willpower and that ability, I would only eat raw fruits. Um, and vegetables. Um, I would exercise and sweat every single day, which I do. Um, I would try to get like seven plus hours of sleep. Um, and I would only wake up on my own, <laughs> not to an alarm clock. And I throw away my computer and my phone. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. You're almost describing the, the I think we understand this, these things. We, yeah. we don't all achieve them every day, but we kind of, uh, at least those of us that are interested, yeah. we know that these are the right things to do. Actually, achieving them is a, is a completely different thing. But I mean, I would say if you can achieve as many of them as you possibly can, and, you're on and, the right And maybe road. on certain days you right. could achieve them, right? And, and one that I didn't say that actually probably is the silver bullet, you've got to stretch every day. And I choose that over, I'm, I'm thinking on the fly here, 
But I choose that over the coffee, the wine, uh, the sleep, and everything else because um, as I get older, and I've, I've always had an affinity towards older people because I feel like I learn from the elders. Um, you see their stride shortening. You see their backs, uh, more and more back surgeries as I talk to older people. And I think you could probably survive the coffee and the wine and some other things, but it's hard to survive uh, when everything starts falling apart. Mm. And and that's more important than weightlifting. That's more important. That's, you've got to be flexible. Yeah, I, and I, I think frailty, if, if you want a sort of generic term to describe that condition, yeah. is something that we ignore at our peril. And, and, and from our kind of age, from, from 40, 50, 60, yeah. that, those are the years that you need to begin to think about it. Exactly. It isn't just, as you say, quite rightly, flexibility, but obviously muscle strength as well is going to help you as you, as you get older. Just no doubt. balance and that kind of thing. Yeah. How do you motivate people and clearly you've motivated thousands and thousands of people around the world to do these races and then and then the, i think there's a certain amount of self-motivation people are keeping coming back because they they love it for the reasons that we've talked about but for those those skeptics those people who say oh, i can't do that i maybe i'd like to but i just can't do it i can't jump into that cold shower i can't jump into that mud on that race or whatever how do you motivate people I have an amazing knack. If I, I, if I had nothing else, if there's no other quality I have, I have an ability to take the most unsuspecting person and get them to stretch their um, ability well beyond, I mean, I mean 10x beyond what they thought was possible. And I think I acquired it from my father. My friends used to say, you know, I'd come over to your house because we were going to go to the movies, and somehow your father handed us a screw gun and a broom, and we're putting up sheetrock <laughs> for five hours. And he just had this ability to get people to do things. And, and so I don't know. I, I'm able to um, – I I, I've had people that have never bicycled before. 13-year-old kid, I got him to bike 275 miles on a bicycle from scratch. You know, I just do it. It's, I, don't, it's, I know how to push those buttons. And um, the knack, the trick, the thing I'm working on is how do I do it in mass? One-on-one's easy. It's mm-hmm. a little judo um, that I do, right? A little mental judo. And if I'm doing it with them, it's hard for people to say no, right? But uh, but I've got to motivate a million a year across 40 countries. Well, you're, you're well on the way to that. Yeah. And I'm curious, to you, we've talked about pain and, and the, the, the positive nature of, of pain, the repercussions of that. Do we have to be, do you think, do you have to experience misery? Do we have to be miserable before we can be happy? If I had to write a book on happiness, uh, and, and please uh, question me on this, beat me up on this one, I believe happiness is a function of actually removing some happiness. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that when you fast for four days, you appreciate that food. Let me give you a, a, a quick example along a similar vein. I took out... Um, our four kit, our four children. My youngest is five, and then my friend, who's an accountant, least likely adventurer, accountant who has a five-year-old and a and a ten-year-old. We went out on a hike that was on a beautiful sunny day in Vancouver. We didn't have all the proper gear. That hike turned into a massive snowstorm, um, and we we ended up in a crazy situation for twenty-four hours. Everybody was safe. The next day, the kids were starving, and, and healthy food was an hour away. So I said, "Fine, we'll go to Wendy's. Everybody gets one French one." thing of french fries no salt until we get to the healthy place well they dropped the french fries on the floor all six containers this is 24 hours of no eating in the snowstorm and they were eating the french fries off the floor dirt and all and they were happy as can be and i thought if this was yesterday 
They would have been screaming, complaining, very unhappy that their French fries fell on the floor and they need new ones and they're not eating them. And so I believe that happiness comes from actually taking some some comforts away, some things away, and then and then you reintroduce the most basic thing, and you're happy as can be. It's it's that it's that sentence I said earlier, which is if you have nothing, you appreciate everything. And you can go way back to some of the philosophers in Greece, Seneca, that you know talked about uh, the, these very same concepts. Very wealthy individuals back then would go sleep outside like a bum. Why? To appreciate. What they had. Yeah. It, it's actually difficult to beat you up on that one because I kind of agree with you. that right. If you live a – we all live incredibly complicated, luxurious lives these days, relatively right. speaking. Introduce a little bit of simplicity and deprivation and you soon appreciate those simple things. And I think with that appreciation just comes happiness. I, I don't think there – like if we, if we had a, a mathematician here and they were trying to lay out the formula for happiness – they would have to agree with us because you can't keep adding numbers or things to get happiness. Uh, if that were true, I mean, when they interviewed all these billionaires, they, they took a sample set of billionaires and I'm making up a number, 80% of them are unhappy. How could that be? They have everything because the theory is right. When mm. you have – like you can't – a new car is not going to make you happy. A new wife is not going to make you happy. You have to make you happy, and the way you get there is take a cold shower. You'll be really happy next time you get a hot one. Yeah, I agree. Do you think about this? Is this podcast is all about longevity and living a long, healthy life, and and, and aspiring to, to to a great health span as as opposed to a lifespan? Do you think about your longevity? Do you think about what it'll be like when you're, or what you want to be like when you're seventy, eighty, ninety, or even a hundred years old? You know, I, I have, um, and we all should have this, what I'm about to say, which is I have a really long-term outlook on things. So when I make decisions, those decisions are driven by what I want 30 years from now to look like. Now, a lot of people would say that's ridiculous. Focus on now. Smell the roses now. And yes, you can do that, and you probably should enjoy your day, right? You can't always be playing for tomorrow. But if you're not setting up tomorrow, well, then you're going to get some things you don't want tomorrow. And so I, I do think about my lo- – I want to be flexible and mobile and active at 80, at 90. I have a, I have a doctor buddy of mine, Dr. Fred Bishi, who, um, who's been guiding me for years uh, since my mother died. He, he took on that role and he um, is 88 years old. He's going to do a Spartan race at 90. He's on raw fruits and vegetables for 60 years. He hasn't eat, eaten anything but a raw fruit and vegetable. 60 years. And so some people say, that's terrible. That's, you know, what about the chocolate cake? What about the – well, I mean he's pretty active at 88. I got to imagine when you're 88, if you made all those, those, those decisions that were very focused on instant gratification, you might regret them, hmm. right? If, if, if you got 20 years in a hospital – on your way off the planet. Yeah, well, and that's the whole point, isn't it? That's my point, is to avoid that 20 years, that 10 years of, of slow decline in perhaps the last few years or months, whatever it is in Who hospital. Who wants that? Nobody they, wants that. Well, no, of course, no one right. wants it. But I think there's a tremendous amount that we can all do to avoid that. Yeah. And I'm, and you mentioned old people that you've experienced, I'm tremendously inspired by those. I mean, there are people at my gym that do Spartan races who are in their 70s. Love it. And they are just living the life. That's what inspires me to get to that age because and I, you know, I've, I've done races and I, you, you stand there at the end and they're giving out the medals and you're watching the age groups older than, than you are and you're looking at the 93-year-old guy standing up there with his with the gold medal. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just great stuff. It's awesome. It? What's next for you? What, what's on the horizon? 
<sighs> so um, it's never perfect uh, when you're building a business, right? And so there's a lot of things to tinker with and get and get really um, organized. Uh, there's some countries we're not in yet. I, I want this to be an Olympic sport, so I got to get it in the Olympics. Um, more television is good. Could we see it in the uh, 2028 Olympics when it comes to you know when it, it comes would, to Los Angeles? It would make sense to be here. You know, I'm hoping that before 2028 we actually get an exhibition run uh, with the sport. The sport makes so much sense for the Olympics because there's just so many participants, and and they need. I mean, if you look at something like pentathlon, 10,000 participants globally. Um, that's an Olympic sport. It should it should stay. It was one of the first right, but uh, there's millions of people doing obstacle racing. Uh, they should be. It should be an Olympic sport. They're going to get the eyeballs uh, they need. So hopefully by 2028, um, I'd love to do a full feature film someday. Here I am sitting out in LA. Um, I'd love to do a full feature film. I have a, a an idea for the last 20 years in my head of um, which is very much uh, tied to the whole Spartan idea and, and the health and wellness stuff you and I are talking about. Yeah, more books. More videos, more shows. Would a film explore the personalities and the, the lives that you're changing, perhaps, in it, through Spartan? I think it's that, but I think it's also like I think there's a superhero involved. Ah, right. <laughs> are you are you him? Uh, not me. I'm, I'm I'm just a regular guy. But but it's the guy you and I aspire. Yeah. to be or the yeah, girl yeah. that role model. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great stuff. It's it's really been good. It's been inspiring to talk to you. Thank you very much, Joe. How do people follow what you're doing? How do people? So I'm I'm really easy. I give out my email if that's okay. It's Joe at Spartan dot com. Um, we've got a podcast. Uh, I wish I knew how to get to it. I think it's Spartan dot com slash podcast. And it's all, I, I listen to it. It's on the regular it's podcasting on the regular channel, yeah. Apple Podcasts, which is where yeah. you can find us as well. We've got a new book coming out called The Spartan Way. I, uh, I looked at 10 principles uh, after interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people and just going through business myself. What are the 10 principles that you've got to nail? Not the tactics you and I talked about, waking up early, taking cold showers, but the principles that you have to nail to be successful in life, no matter how you define success. So that book's coming out September. And then Spartan.com. Spartan.com is the uh, website. And you're at Real Joe DeSena on Twitter. You know that better than me. I yes. believe you are. All yeah. right. I'll put all of those details in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. You'll find those at LlamaPodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A Podcast.com. That's Live Long and Master Aging. You can rate us. You can review us at Apple Podcasts and in social media. We're at Llama Podcast. Joe, really been a huge pleasure. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. All the best and thank you for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Ruud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.